So today's message is not about trite answers, but they're true answers. I won't uncover all the mysteries of unanswered prayer in this message, but during our time together, I really hope to enlarge your perspective and inject some hope into situations where you're feeling pretty alone right now. For the record, the Bible does not ignore the mystery of unanswered prayer. It addresses it. It's addressed in a lot of scriptures. Some of them we're going to be looking at today. And that's where I want to begin with the problem of unanswered prayer. G.K. Chesterton was a man who lived about 100 years ago, a great spokesman for Christ. He said that when belief in God becomes difficult, people turn from God. But then he asked, to what? What do you turn to? When you turn away from God because you're disillusioned with God, you don't think he answers your prayer, what do you turn to? Do you turn to yourself? I'm just going to live life on my own terms. I'm going to make it on my own. Well, there's a problem with that, and he explains. He said the real trouble with the world of ours is not that it's an unreasonable world or even that it is a reasonable one. The, kind, the commonest kind of trouble is that it is nearly reasonable but not quite. And he's right. Reason, just like faith, can only take us so far. So much of what you and I will encounter in this life falls short of a reasonable explanation. In other words, you can turn to yourself. You can live life on your own terms. You can say, I'm just going to lean on my own understanding. But you know what? You're still going to have trouble answering unreasonable things that happen in your life. That's not going to change. So for people of faith, prayer becomes the irrepressible cry of our heart to God. In the Old Testament, there's a man named Job who by God's own account was a truly righteous man, yet he suffered things that most of us in this room will never face. But he dealt with unanswered prayer, and this is what he said in Job 30, verse 20. I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. Truth be told, there's a good number of people in this room right now who are feeling about prayer that it's just like talking to a wall or talking to the ceiling. Because I don't get an answer. I pray, and I pray sincerely, and I pray what I think God wants me to pray, but I just never get an answer from God. I mean, I just want you to think about this for a minute. We love to tell the story of Daniel and the lion's den. It's a great story. It's a true story. But what do you do with the fact that thousands of Christians were thrown to the lions in Rome and weren't delivered like Daniel? You can't tell me none of those people prayed to be delivered. Or how about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They're thrown into the fiery furnace. The Bible says the flame doesn't touch them. Even their clothes don't smell of smoke. It's a bona fide miracle. But where was God when Nero was burning Christians at the stake just to light his gardens at night? Again, you can't tell me that those people didn't cry for the miracle of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Read Acts chapter 12. Herod kills James, the apostle, by the sword. He intends to do the same thing to Peter. But the church prays for Peter and an angel of the Lord comes and releases him from prison. Are we to assume that the church didn't pray for James? If they prayed for James, did they, or if they prayed for Peter, did they really have faith? Because, you know, once Peter gets out of jail, he goes immediately to the, the, the prayer meeting, and the people won't let him in. I mean, they say, it's Peter at the door. They say, well, it can't be Peter. He's in jail. You know, they don't even believe their own prayers for deliverance. So what is God doing? Does God answer prayer or does he not? Now, the one thing that has helped me practically more than anything else is the discovery that I'm not the only person to have my prayers go unanswered. In fact, the Bible is filled with stories of men and women who prayed to God 
And sometimes they got an explanation, but most times they did not as to why he did not answer their prayer. We don't talk about these much because we like to focus on the miracle prayers. We like to focus on the prayers that got answered just in the nick of time and everything turns out great. But we're going to focus on those other prayers today. So let's talk about the answer we don't want to hear. The first kind of answer we don't want to hear is the answer delayed. Moms, dads in this room, have you discovered in the parenting vocabulary that next to the words no, not yet are the worst words that your kid ever wants to hear from you, right? And so, so your seven-year-old comes to you, your seven-year-old girl, and she says, I want to wear makeup. And you say, not yet. Does your child accept that as an explanation? I am so glad, mother, that you've illuminated my understanding. I, I, I get it. I'd never thought of it in that way before. No, they act like you just killed them. There are some things that you're going to ask for God in prayer that are definitely things God wants to do in your life, but not yet. You know, Paul had this ambition. It's, it's in many New Testament books to go and preach in Rome. He wanted to go to Rome because Rome was the commercial center, the spiritual center, the, the governmental, the cultural center. It was the center of the world. And he felt like if he could go in there and impact that with the message of Christ, that it would just spread to every corner of the empire. So that was his ambition. And he prayed and prayed to God, I want to go to Rome. And God kept telling him, not yet, not yet. Why would God not answer that prayer? It's a genuine desire. It's to preach the word. It's to go to a place of strategic importance. Well, God knew something that Paul didn't know. And that is that Paul would only get one shot at Rome. It would be a short and effective ministry while he was there. But the second time he went, he would go in shackles and face his execution. For some of you right now, God wants to do the very thing you're praying to him, asking him to do, but not yet. Now, I know this is a very important principle, and we don't like to be reminded of it. It may be difficult to wait on the Lord, but it's worse to wish you had. It's worse to get out in front of him. It's, it's worse to, to be presumptuous. It's, it's worse to, to go out there and be in a place where God is not blessing. By the way, something else that isn't mentioned often when it comes to prayer, sometimes prayers are delayed because of spiritual battles you and I cannot see. You can read this in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel gets this disturbing vision from God. He needs clarity from God as to what it means. The Bible makes clear God dispatched his answer immediately. But what we're told is this, the, the angel that was given that answer is opposed by demonic evil forces, and that answer is delayed by three weeks in getting to Daniel. Even Jesus had an unanswered prayer. Don't believe me? Read John 17. It's his high priestly prayer. In that prayer, he prayed this. Holy Father, protect them. He's talking about his church. He's talking about us. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus is praying for the unity of the church. He's praying for his church to be united. You know how many denominations there are in the world today? 34,000 Christian denominations. There's not a single global leader on this planet that would say that the Christian church is by any means united. We're not united, we're divided. God has said to Jesus about this prayer, not yet. Now we have this image, and we see it in the book of Revelation, that one day the body of Christ will be reconstituted, the new heaven, the new earth, and on that day we will experience unity and peace. But until that day, this prayer remains unanswered. The body of Christ is divided. What I'm telling you is oftentimes we go to God expecting an immediate answer, and God is saying, not yet. 
And in a society that's obsessed with instant gratification, we don't like that answer. Here's another thing. Sometimes the answer is disguised. A pastor was out of town. He was at a conference, and it was late, and he wanted to get home to be with his wife and kids. And so he's kind of speeding, kind of pushing it too much, and pretty soon he sees the lights in the rearview mirror, gets pulled over, gets a ticket. As soon as he walks in the door, his wife throws her arms around him and said, Honey, I missed you so much. I, I'm just praying and praying that the Lord would be with you and keep you safe. And he said, You know what? He was. I just didn't recognize him in uniform. So <laughs> sometimes the answer we get is disguise. Take, for example, Abraham prays for Sodom, or Abraham praying for Sodom. In the Bible, God tells Abraham that he's going to destroy the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, the problem with that is Abraham's nephew Lot and his wife and their kids live there. And so Abraham begs and pleads God not to do that. Well, short answer is God denies that request. He's not going to do that. But what Abraham couldn't see, what God was going to do, is get the righteous people out of harm's way before he brought the judgment. In the end, Abraham got what he wanted, but not what he expected. There are times when you need to be thankful that God's answers are wiser than your prayers. Now, there's a great example of this from history about a man who's well-known in church history, lived around 300 A.D. His name was Augustine. Augustine had tremendous influence over the history of the church, influenced Martin Luther, who was the father of the Protestant Reformation. Augustine was a major player. But you need to understand something. Augustine did not grow up as a believer. His mom and dad were not in agreement in that the father was a pagan, he was an idol worshiper, and he was extremely sexually promiscuous. That was Augustine's dad. His mother was a devout Christian. Augustine followed in his dad's footsteps. So at a young age, he distinguished himself as a brilliant orator and uh, teacher and philosopher, but he was a rich playboy. He slept around a lot. Because his mother was such a devoted Christian, she prayed for her son constantly. Augustine made a decision that he wanted to leave North Africa and go to Rome. And his mother begged and pleaded with him not to go. Because Rome was sin central. It was the Las Vegas of its day. That's not where you went. Because every vice under the sun, if you wanted to experience, that was Rome. And she felt like if her son were to leave North Africa and go to Rome, she would lose him for good and she would lose him for God. So Monica prayed. Even at the pier, as Augustine is boarding the boat to leave to go to Rome, she prays and the tears are streaming down her face. Her, her, her tears became so legendary that years ago when Spanish explorers were going along our west coast, what we call California now, they came to a place and they're looking out over the Pacific Ocean and they see the glimmer of lights on the top of the waves, all the sparkles, and they say, well, that looks like Monica's tears. So they called that place Santa Monica. That's, that's where the name comes from. On the East Coast, in Florida, we have a city named after the sun, St. Augustine. So Augustine and Monica are both memorialized in our history and that's the story. She cried and she wept for her son. Now you should know that God loved Augustine too much to give him what Monica was praying for. God let Augustine go to Rome, and Augustine did everything the mother feared. He slept around. He was promiscuous. He was destroying his life. But you see, some people have to get every, as much as they can of the bad stuff just to find the answers aren't there. To, to, to drink of that polluted fountain so deeply 
that they realize there's nothing satisfying in that. And that's exactly what he does. But while he's in Rome, he comes under the influence of a powerful Christian leader by the name of Ambrose. He was the bishop of Milan. And through the influence of Ambrose and others, Augustine became a Christian in the very place where his mother prayed he would not go. What she wanted was denied, but the substance of her prayer was granted. Augustine later explained this. He said, you, speaking to God, you in the depth of your counsels, hearing the main point of her desire, regarded not what she then asked, that you might make me what she ever desired. God did not ignore Monica's prayers. He did not answer the way she expected, but he did answer the prayer. Her son was saved, and Augustine became a powerhouse for God, literally changed Christian history. But the hardest thing, I think, for any of us to deal with is this third category, and that is when the answer is denied. Now, some of us who've been believers for some time have lived long enough to be able to look back and to realize we thank God that some of our prayers weren't answered. Gene uh, Ingelow said this, I've lived, I've lived to thank God that all my prayers have not been answered. Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of the famous, Billy, uh, wife of the famous evangelist Billy Graham, she once said, God has not always answered my prayers. If he had, I would have married the wrong man several times. And even C.S. Lewis said, if God had granted all the silly prayers I prayed in my life, where should I be now? You know, there are such things as wrong or inappropriate prayer requests. So how do you know when a request is wrong? Well, here's one reason God might say no. When answering yes would undermine God's purpose for you. So this is a passage in Luke chapter 9, verse 33. I'll explain it after I read it. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. So what this story is referring to is what's called the transfiguration of Christ. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain. And while he's there, Moses and Elijah appear in bodily form to Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus is transfigured, which means that the, the, the Peter, James, and John get to see something that nobody had ever seen before. They get to see the glory of God radiating from Christ. We call that the Shekinah glory, the presence glory of God. They see this, it's incredible. Peter's overwhelmed by it. Here's, here's Moses, here's Elijah, here's Jesus. It's the shining glory of God. And he said, hey, let's make this permanent. You know, let's set up a little village up here, and we'll just hang out on the mountain forever. And God, in, in essence, says, listen, I didn't call you to isolate yourself from the world. We've got work to do. We've got people to serve. That's not for you right now. You see, when I first became a Christian, I was a lot like this. You know, sometimes we ask for something that's not necessarily wrong, but it's wrong for us. When I was a, a young Christian, I grew up in this rural church in Ohio, and, and once a month we would have singings. And by singings, they would bring in this gospel quartet, you know, four-part harmony, beautiful music, and they would come every month, and I would listen to that stuff, and i say, God, I want to be a singer. I mean, I want to be a singer more than anything. I, of all the jobs in this church, I envy Eric the most. I mean, I really wanted to do that because, you know what, I have learned that music can touch people in ways that the spoken word can't. 
There's something about music that our defenses come down, the message gets through, sometimes even the most callous of hearts. It's one of the reasons why we love the songs that we love so much, right? I mean, my, my phone is just chock full of music because I love music and I love the way it speaks to me. And truth be told, nobody preaches to me every week. My sermon is in the music. So this is my time for ministry is when people are singing. It really does an incredible thing for me each and every week. But God said no. Now, he wasn't, he, he wasn't saying that's a bad purpose at all, but it wasn't my purpose. Sometimes God wants to call you to do something bigger or better or just different. When saying yes would undermine his purpose for you, God says no. Here's another reason why God might deny a request. When answering yes would unleash a problem for you. One time, the mother of James and John comes to Jesus with a request, and this is what she asks. What is it you want that Jesus asks them? She said, grant that one of my two sons may sit on your right and on your left in the kingdom. She said, I'd like the two best seats in, the, in heaven for my boys. And Jesus says, no. She said, no, that's not going to happen. Why? Because it would set a terrible precedence. This is a totally self-serving request. To say yes to that would, would cause them to think that they, they could receive from God anything, no matter how selfish or immature. The Bible says in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 3, that he will not answer those prayers that are asked with the wrong motives intended to be purely self-serving. What I'm saying is sometimes it's a lot easier to point the finger at God and say, God, you're wrong here, than to say maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my prayer's out of line. Maybe I'm just asking in a very selfish way for these things and I'm not thinking about what God wants. You see, sometimes we treat God like a Coke machine. We think prayer is about putting in the correct amount, making our selection, and getting what we need. And all of that's fine till, till it doesn't work that way. You put the money in the Coke machine, and you wanted a Dr. Pepper, but you get a Diet Coke. And then what happens? Then you're mad. Then you start pounding on the button, and you start shaking the machine. You did your part. You wanted to do its part. Well, we do that with prayer sometimes. We think that, you know, I just have to say the right words, and if I say the right words, God's obligated to fill this request, and if he doesn't, then I get mad. I feel betrayed, I lose faith, I leave the church. The truth is, God loves us too much to say yes to some requests. And parents, just hear me for a minute. Didn't you have to say no to your kids a lot? Don't you still? I mean, and don't you have legitimate reasons for saying no from time to time? I mean, aren't there times when you have a bigger perspective than what they have and you have to say no? Or maybe you have something better in mind and you have to say no. Or you realize they're just not ready for this yet and you have to say no. We, we know in our hearts that God has to be the same way. Here's another time God might say no, when answering yes would undo God's progress in you. God has a plan for your life. It takes into account all kinds of experiences, good, bad, and different. And its goal is to make you the best possible you. As you walk through life, you're going to encounter things from time to time where you will question, why did it have to be this way? And at times, you're going to cry out to God, make it go away. I hate this pain. Take it away. And that's exactly where Paul was when he prayed these pra this prayer. To keep me from becoming conceited, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, Bible students are divided about what the thorn in the flesh that Paul's talking about. Tertullian thought it was a physical affliction. Augustine Luther thought it was a temptation. 
People have said it could have been migraines, epilepsy, malaria, an eye disease. That's what I think, an eye disease. Rheumatism, fever, even leprosy. But whatever it was, it troubled Paul a great deal. It was a hindrance. It was a constant pain. It was a thorn in his flesh. And he prayed to God on three separate occasions to remove it. And God said no. You know, when God is in the process of making the diamond, it takes a great deal of pressure and time. And when God is creating a thing of exquisite beauty in your life, sometimes the answer you receive to prayer is no. God has made so much progress in your life up to this point that to say yes at this point would undo all of that progress. Philip Yancey is such a powerful and insightful writer. And he made this observation between the developed world and the undeveloped world. He said this, on my travels overseas, I've noticed a striking difference in the wording of prayers. Christians in affluent countries tend to pray, Lord, take this trial away from me. I've heard others, poor, persecuted, even those in prison, pray instead, Lord, give us the strength to bear this trial. You know, there is something inherently danger about, dangerous about living in affluence. That we have access to so much stuff, so much information, so much health care, so much technology. People die all the time. You know, my friends in Africa, I can't tell you how many friends I've known that died of diarrhea. Just because they couldn't stop it, and, and they died. They get so dehydrated, they die. Tuberculosis, I mean, HIV, AIDS, I mean, you name it. When people don't have access to health care, they just accept the fact people are going to die. But here, we don't accept death like that. It's like, well, we, we've got all these ways to cheat death, get around death. And we keep life, people alive almost in all perpetuity, right? And so... There is this sense in which our culture even kind of conditions our praying. And that moves, moves me to this last issue, and that is, can prayer ever be bad for us? And some of us might think that is a stupid question. But there's a biblical basis for asking this question. The first thing I want to talk to you about is when God says yes to less than the best. I have been in many hospitals. I think every hospital in this city. I've prayed for people who are very, very ill. I prayed for some people and seen them walk out when the doctor said they would never walk out of the hospital. That's not about me. That's about God and what he does, okay? And there are times I have prayed sincerely and seen people pass off into eternity. I'll never forget Peggy Neal. This was probably about 20 years ago now. Peggy Neal's boss came to this church, and her boss said to me, I have a secretary. She's got leukemia. She's dying. She doesn't know Jesus. Would you go and talk to her about Jesus? I said, sure. I, I went to Peggy's house. I led her to Christ in her living room. A week later, I baptized her lying on the couch. She wasn't strong enough to sit up. I took a cup of water, and I baptized her right there. It was amazing. Christ came into her life in a powerful way. But over the next couple of months, Peggy was in and out of the hospital. And every time I went down there, I would pray over her. And, I, and it was just like, you know, God, if you're going to do a miracle, then do this miracle. You know, I, I'm praying for it. It's my privilege to ask for it. I realized a long time ago... God told me to pray for healing. Now, how God answers is his prerogative. Sometimes he does the miracle. Sometimes he works through doctors and surgeries and therapies, and that's great too. He gave us that knowledge of our body. And sometimes God takes his kids home to heal them. Those are all God's divine choice. It's my right to ask for it, so I ask for it. Well, I have been asking for healing for Peggy for, the, for a couple of months, and I get this call in the middle of the night. I was the only pastor available. It was probably 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And I get in my car to go down to Big Baylor. And as on my drive down through there, I just, I am, I am just exasperated. And I say, God, I have to know what you want me to pray for Peggy. 
I go in, I pray the same thing every time. What do you want me to pray for her? Give me the words to say. I'm just going to sit here and listen. My radio is off. Whatever you tell me is what I'm going to do. Just say it and I won't ask another thing. And I'm driving along, maybe two or three minutes later, I heard in my head as clearly as I've ever heard anything, you'll know when you get there. About two minutes passed and I said, you know, God, that's not really helpful because <laughs> I'm thinking about what you want me to pray and you're telling me I'm going to know what I get there. And I know I made a deal that I wasn't going to say anything else and I just needed a word and that's your word, but it really doesn't help me. So I drive down to Baylor, park in the garage. I go up to her room on the third floor of Baylor. Peggy has a 16-year-old daughter. Her mother and father are there, some other people in the room. I walk in the room, and I instantly knew it was her time to go home. I, I can't tell you how I knew that. I just knew. And I walked over, and I took her hand. I said, Peggy, it's Pastor Keith. She was not conscious. I took her hand. I said, Peggy, I'm going to pray for you. It's time to go home. And I prayed for her. I prayed for her to let go in this life and to take hold of the hand of Jesus. And I say, amen. She took two more breaths and she passed off into eternity. Her daughter was standing there. She looked at me and she said, it's as if mom waited for you to tell her it was okay to go. And then she said this, the presence of God is so thick in this room right now, I can feel him. And you know, that 16-year-old needed to know that her mama was safe in God's hands and she was safe in God's hands too. You know, there's a passage of scripture that a lot of us don't pay attention to. It's a true story about a king, one of Israel's greatest kings. His name was Hezekiah. The Bible says about Hezekiah, there was no one like him before and no one like him after. But God told Hezekiah, get your house in order because you're going to die. And Hezekiah doesn't want that. So here's what he does. He prays for God to extend his life. In 2 Kings 20, verses 5 through 6, I have heard your prayer. These are the words of God. I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. Now, if you read the story of what happened in those 15 years, you might question whether this was a wise prayer. Two things happened that seemed very insignificant at the time. A delegation from Babylon came to visit, and Hezekiah had a son in his old age, three years after his healing, and that boy, his name was Manasseh. When Hezekiah died, his 12-year-old succeeded him on the throne as king. Now these two in seemingly insignificant details come to be a factor because that delegation of visitors from Babylon were spies. And what, what they did, it set in motion a chain of events that would lead to Israel's captivity by Babylon and all of its people being enslaved. Manasseh, Hezekiah's son that he had after the healing, was so corrupt that the Bible said that he led Israel to do more evil than even the nations God had destroyed on account of their evil. So you tell me, was that 15 years worth it? You know, God can say yes to less than the best requests, but sometimes these stories like this are in the Bible to remind us that there are consequences. And then there's no to prayers that are not in our best interest. You know, I hate to admit it, but oftentimes when I'm going through pain, I want just the easiest path. And, and if I'm facing a difficulty, I ask for deliverance. 
But if you ask any group of Christians, when were you closest to God? When was your spiritual life most alive? They will tell you without beating an eyelash during a difficult time. Malcolm Muggeridge was a really well-known spokesman for Christ. He was being interviewed by William F. Buckley. And he said this, as an old man, Bill, looking back on one's life, it's one of the things that strike you most forcibly that the only thing that's taught one anything is suffering. Not success, not happiness, not anything like that. The only thing that teaches one what life's about, the joy of understanding, the joy of coming into contact with what life really signifies is suffering and affliction. Imagine what our lives would be like pain-free. Now, for those of you in pain right now, you think pretty good, right? But honestly, if a parent removed every obstacle from a child's path, prevented every discomfort, complied with every whim, what might that child turn out like? We have a term for that, spoiled brat, right? We know it doesn't work in life, but we want God to do that for us. The Bible says suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. What God does is he says yes to enough requests that keep us from becoming completely discouraged and no to enough that keep us from becoming spoiled brats. Keep being thankful that God's answers are wiser than our prayers. There's one final thing. Sometimes God will say no to give us something better. King David in the Old Testament wanted to build a house for God. It was a great desire. His motive was right. He had the ability and he had the resources. And God said, no, your son is going to do that for you. Now, let me ask you, why was that a better solution? One of the best things about the way God answered this prayer is using Solomon. Because what was David's biggest failure in life? He committed adultery with Bathsheba. Had her husband killed. Had a baby from that adultery. And that baby's name was Solomon. Do you see what God is doing? God is using this son out of the mess David made. He promises to make something beautiful and lasting. So sometimes God will say no in order to point us in a new direction. Now there's a poem and I'd like to share it with you right now. It's called the prayer of paradox or the paradox of prayer. It's been attributed to a Confederate soldier, but we honestly don't know who wrote this, but it's powerful and it fits perfectly with what we're talking about. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to humbly obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches so that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. I don't know what you're up against today. I don't know what you're praying for. I know how difficult it is to pray and not get an answer from God. Maybe this has helped a little bit to enlarge your perspective. Maybe just realizing that sometimes on this side of eternity, we don't get the answers that we want. You know, for some of us, we have some conversations bookmarked. Say, one day, I just want to talk to God about this. What was going on there? What couldn't I see? What did you see that I couldn't? All of that. I get that. We're going to wrap up in just a minute with a song. And it's a really well-known song. It's called, It Is Well With My Soul. I'm not going to tell you the whole backstory of this song, but many of you may be aware that this is a story of a man 
who lost his entire family when a, when a ship went down. He lost his wife. He lost his children. And he had just a, a, an agonizing year of praying to God and no answers and all of that. And he boards a ship, and he asks the captain at the place that the other ship went down, will you just let me know? And he goes out on the deck of the ship, and in the midst of that time, these words, these words of this song, these song, it is well with my soul, came to mind. What he came to understand is this. He may not get the answer to the questions, uh, the, the, the complexity, the suffering, the problems of life, but he can know who holds his life and that ultimately his life is secure in God. So as we wrap up today, would you just bow your heads with me and let's pray together and then let's sing this song as our anthem that we trust our Father who does all things well. Father, I just thank you for this time that we've had together. I thank you for the truth that you do not ignore unanswered prayer in the Bible. This, the, this book is filled with examples, some of which we touched on today, many that we didn't even talk about. But Lord, you understand our perplexity. You understand as we, we struggle through trying to figure out, God, where are you in this? And what are you doing? And, 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 and are you going to answer it all? Is my answer no or not yet or wait a while? God, I just pray that for wh whoever is in the midst of that right now, that you would assure them of your presence and your love, that you don't forget, that you do not abandon your kids, that you are there for us, that you love us incredibly. Thank you, God, for giving us this way to commune with you. I pray, God, that as we wrap up at this point, that this song will be our assurance that it is truly well with our soul today. In Jesus' name, amen.